We're now starting a new book of the Bible, the book of Ruth. Ruth only has four chapters, so we won't be here for long. <laughs> but Ruth's a much happier book than the last one. So uh, let's read, and then we'll chat about it after that. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to live in the country of Moab with his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. Ephrathites, Ephrathites, try that one more time, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. They came into the country of Moab and lived there. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there for ten years. Marlon and Kilion both died, and the women were bereaved of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how Yahweh had visited his people and given them bread. She was out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law went with her. They went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go! Return each of you to your mother's house. May Yahweh deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May Yahweh grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. Naomi said, Go back, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb? that they may become your husbands. Go back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and should bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me seriously for your sakes, for Yahweh's hand has gone out against me. They lifted up their voices and they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth stayed with her. She said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Don't urge me to leave you and to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May Yahweh do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. When they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was excited about them and asked, Is this Naomi? She asked them, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and Yahweh has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since Yahweh has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned out of the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Well... 
This is a book written in the time, the period of the judges. Now, the period of the judges, according to my own calculations, is 331 years long, or roughly 350, you know, roughly, give or take. And um, so there's a big period of time that this could have fallen into. And the book doesn't actually say during which judge it happened. And there's all different opinions about when it could have happened. But it's really, it's actually not that hard to work out. <laughs> because the book includes two things in it that are really good clues. One of them is, um, you know, well, it's, they're pretty much in the other chapters that we, that we didn't read today. But we find out later in the book that Ruth marries Boaz and Boaz is the son of, oh, what's the name of him? Salmon or Salmon. I think Salmon is a fish. I think they actually pronounce it Salmon. And Salmon is the man from Judah who married Rahab. You remember in the book of Joshua, in the early chapters, when they go across the Jordan River and they attack Jericho and Rahab's there and she helps the spies? She's an innkeeper or a prostitute. Might be the same thing. And she um, helps the two spies and then they save her life. Well, Rahab marries Salmon and they have a son called Boaz. Well, here he is <laughs> in this book. We haven't read about him in chapter one. We're gonna meet him in chapter two tomorrow. So if we wanna get an idea of when this is in the biblical period of the judges, it's soon. So after the, and, and we find out that Boaz is old in this book. So it's not straight away but it's not like way into the period of the judges. So my guess would be, let's give it 50 years. So Boaz is, let's say he's 50. And so uh, Rahab and, and Salmon, they get, they get together, you know, after the period of, uh, in the conquest in those early years. And so let's say that this is 30 years into the book of Judges. This would be during the time of Othniel, or maybe during the time of the judge called Eglon. So during this period of time, and um, interestingly, when Eglon was the, the judge, just before that, the king of Moab was actually in charge of all of this land. So we can conjecture a lot about all of this because um, some people have wondered, you know, why did people from Israel leave and go to Moab? Well, it may well have been that if the Moabites were in charge of the country, because, you know, they were struggling at that time with Moab, could very well have been that it was easy to come and go from Moab to Israel. Just conjecture, we don't know. But anyway, the point is that it's early in the, the period of the judges. And then at the end of the book, in chapter four, it says that you know after Ruth and Boaz get married, it says that they had a son called Obed, Obed had a son called Jesse, and Jesse had a son called David. Doesn't call him king, but he was gonna become the king. So there's three more generations to King David. So this period of the Judges, which is 331 years, is covered by five generations. And um, so, you know, that's like 60 years apart. So they're long spread out generations, and it, it may very well be that these are not the first kids in their families, but they may be later children in the families, because that used to happen too. Men would sometimes not get married until they were older, but then they would marry women who were quite young, and these women would have multiple children. So you could end up having children when you were 60, 70, 80 years of age. And uh, things were just different at that time. So this is early in the period of the judges, probably during 
you know, Ehud or something like that. Now, if we were to take the title off the book of Ruth, and we were just to take these four chapters and we were just to add them onto the book of Judges, so Judges had 25 chapters instead of 21, this would just fit in fine. You wouldn't even know because those last five chapters of Judges just say things like, during the time of the Judges, or you know, Israel had no king. It's the exact same language that's being used here. And a lot of people think that Samuel, who wrote the book of Judges, wrote the book of Ruth as well. We have no reason not to believe it. No one knows for sure, except that Jewish tradition tells us that Samuel did write it. Now, of course, you've got all these liberal skeptical scholars who think it was written a long, long time later when King Josiah was the king. No, rubbish, <laughs> because it would have said in chapter four, it would have mentioned David was king and it would have said a lot of other things like that, which it doesn't mention. It was written at the time of Samuel and Samuel had, an anoint Samuel had anointed David as king, but David hadn't become the king yet. So it doesn't say he's the king, it just says David. So all of these are interesting things to consider. And of course, the book of Ruth's a very positive story but the book of Judges is a very sad and depressing book. So if you butter them together, that would be a bit of a contrast, but still just the same, it would fit together. Now there's some very interesting features about this book. And uh, one of them is the fact that, that Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they go to Moab. Now Moab was an enemy of Israel. It's a really strange place to go. Um, nevertheless, that's where they go. And uh, the Moabites were the ones that oppressed the Israelites at the time they were trying to cross into the Promised Land. You remember the story of Balaam out of the book of Numbers? That was the oppression from the Moabites. That's this group of people. And this is only like 100 years maybe or 80 years before this event took place. And um, so the Moabites were their enemies. Now the Moabites worshipped a god called Chemosh or Chemosh. And Chemosh required child sacrifice. It was something that God hated. In fact, God re um, referred to this as the detest Chemosh, the detestable God of the Moabites. That's the way the scripture calls it. So Chemosh is a detestable idol. You know, there's a lot of things that God didn't like, but here he adds the word detestable. So the, the Moabite way of living, their, their religion, God detested it. It was terrible. And in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3, it says that Moabites were not welcome in the presence of God. So we've got this interesting story of Elimelech and his family going to Moab. You know, it's, a, it's a, a nation which is the enemy of Israel. They worship a God which is detestable. People from Moab were not even allowed in God's presence according to the law. But then these boys, they marry women from there. And that's a strange thing too. We don't know why they did it. But presumably they, they didn't realize or... They didn't care. And then the men die, and one of these two women, Ruth, decides that she is so committed to Ruth, so committed to Naomi, and so committed to her God that she's going to follow her. She says that where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, I will die. I'll be buried with you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. She says all these things. It's a great thing to say. And um, it's, there's almost, it's almost like, the sinner's prayer. <laughs> it's that when someone wants to give themselves to the Lord and they say, Lord, you will be my God. And you know, your people, the church, this is gonna be, you know, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna be a part of the church. I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna commit my whole life to you. I'm gonna die serving you. It's a commitment like that that's really, really 
amazing commitment. And what makes it even all the more amazing is Ruth doesn't have anything to benefit from it. So we see in um, Christianity, you know, like when we lead people to the Lord, a lot of the times people are saved because there's something they're going to get out of it. So, for example, they become aware of the, that they're sin. They become aware that they're a sinner. They're aware that if they don't get right with God, they're in trouble. So they don't want to go to hell. So they get saved. And that's, a, that's nothing wrong with that. That's completely legitimate. But it's not very often you meet someone who just loves the Lord and just wants to, just wants to become a follower. And you got this here with Ruth. She seems to have seems to not get anything out of it except just a love for Naomi and a, and a decision to follow the God Yahweh. And back at this point in world history, there were not, not really any true monotheists. Like we think of the Israelites as monotheists, that they had a, only they worshipped only one God. But that's true monotheism is a bit different to that. It's true they only worship one God but they only believe there's one God. They don't believe any of the other gods that even exist. So they think it's you either worship God or you don't. But these early Israelites, in fact, all people in the world, um, were they believed in multiple gods. The difference with the Israelites was they only worshipped one God. So that's called henotheism, not monotheism. And so what you've got here with Ruth, she's not saying that the God of Moab isn't, isn't a God. No, what she's saying is I'm choosing to make Naomi's God my God. So she's choosing to become a follower of Yahweh and it's quite surprising actually because she doesn't seem to get anything from it. And I've written here, so many people choose to follow the Lord because of the perceived benefits that they're going to receive, most of all salvation, but few people follow God just because they love him. So in this book, we're going to continue it shortly in the next few days. All the names of the people in this book have such great significance. And this is my main point for chapter one. So Elimelech means God is the king. You know, Marlon and Kilion, the two sons, they, their names mean sickness and consumption. Terrible names. And um, Naomi's name means pleasant. But Mara, so Naomi, she was saying, you know, don't call me pleasant. You know, don't call me Naomi because my life has not been pleasant. Just call me Mara because my life's been bitter. And so she's basically saying, my name's Mary. You know, the name Mary, the mother of Jesus, it's, it's from this root word Mara, which means bitter. And so Naomi's saying, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter because my life's been bad. And... Um, but as we continue through the story, out of this bitterness that she's experienced comes redemption. So we're going to find that out in the next three chapters how that happens. But here we've got a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Because if you go forward, you know, around about 1,300 years to the Lord Jesus, you've actually got a woman whose name's Mary. And out of Mary comes redemption. So it's a foreshadowing of Jesus right here in chapter 1. So the Lord, he can turn anything around. And in the wilderness, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, they came to a place called the waters of Marah. The water was bitter, and yet the Lord touched the water and it became sweet. And this is a theme all the way through the Bible, and it's a picture of Jesus, that something can be bitter, 
But the Lord knows how to make it sweet and bring something wonderful out of it. The Lord can redeem anything. So Lord, I thank you. Lord, we've all got bitterness in our lives. Um, some of the bitterness has come from other places, but there's also been bitterness that we've made ourselves. Lord, things have happened and we've become bitter. Lord, forgive us for our bitterness. And yet, Lord, I pray that you would turn our bitterness into sweetness. Lord, I pray that you would redeem us. Your grace would be at work, just as you are our Redeemer. Just as you are foreshadowed here in Ruth chapter 1, Lord, I pray that you would step into our lives and let grace redeem. In Jesus' name, amen.